Thank you for listening to Therapy for Guys. My name is Kike Autry, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Katy, Texas. In this podcast, I want to explore the issues that men stay silent about, our struggles with anxiety and depression, our relationship issues, obstacles that we face with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism or OCD, and our big existential crises, those related to spirituality and religion, to larger cultural realities, and to the question of the meaning of life. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to learn more about me, I would encourage you to check out my website. You can find it at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. And as always, remember, continue the conversation. this episode of the podcast, I sit down and speak with Amy Galpin, who's a licensed professional counselor supervisor, and we discuss one of our favorite TV shows out right now on Apple Plus TV, Ted Lasso. I will say this episode has many spoilers, so if you've never seen the show, please don't listen to it if you're afraid of you know some of the content getting spoiled and revealed for you. Go ahead and watch the two seasons before you watch or before you listen to this episode. In this episode, it's a free-form conversation. We discuss a lot of different topics. We, we basically look at some of the, the great quotes that Ted Lasso shares throughout the two seasons, and we sort of unpack them from our own personal and therapeutic perspective. Uh, this was a, a different episode. It was a lot of fun. And I hope, as always, that you are encouraged by what we talk about. I, I hope that it was funny and interesting to you as well. As always, guys, I want to encourage you to share the content of this episode. Uh, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wh- wherever you connect through social media. Um, if, if you're open to this as well, if you listen to this episode on Apple Podcasts, I want to encourage you to go ahead and and not just rate the episode, hopefully you'd give it five stars, 
but you can maybe write a review, uh, not just for this episode, but for the entire podcast. Um, you know, reviews really help people understand what this podcast is all about. And, and I think it's important to just get the word out. Please go out if you can and have a conversation with a friend. Uh, go out for coffee, go out for beer, go out to dinner and talk about some of these ideas. Uh, do what we did in this episode, which is just connect and and build a deeper relational bond. As always, guys, I want to encourage you to continue the conversation. So in this episode of Therapy for Guys, we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of a guided conversation, you know, discussing a book or, or an idea, we're actually going to talk about one of our favorite shows, Ted Lasso. How does that sound, Amy Galpin? <laughs> that sounds great. I love that show. Isn't it a great show? It is a wonderful show. And and I know that um, I've mentioned this in the intro, but... There are going to be spoilers, so if you've never watched Ted Lasso, let's go ahead and just say, don't listen to this episode or, or pause it and go ahead and sign on to the Apple Plus TV network and uh, go ahead and watch the first two seasons because we're going to be talking about some things that will spoil the show. It's definitely worth watching, though. It's really great. I love that it's a show that makes me laugh out loud but also makes me cry and has so much depth and meaning to it. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but I like um, how three-dimensional the characters are. You get to know, um, you get to love and hate them at the same time. I think they did a really good job with that. Oh, that's a really good way to put it. Love and hate them at the same time. I couldn't agree more. I forget where I read this. I think it was some kind of online article, but one sort of TV critic said, it's one of the shows that is able to sort of weave out all these different stories with all the sub characters and go pretty deep without it being too much, without you getting lost. I, I think that's a feat. Yeah, I mean, it, I I think there's emotion, but it's also lighthearted. It's it's a fun show to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think another reason I wanted to do this special episode is here we are, two therapists. Uh, we work with all kinds of people, males, females, trans individuals, um, you know, little kids at times up to people in their later years. And so we have, 
I think a, a wide range of experience and perspective. And, and I just thought it would be interesting to have a conversation where two therapists sort of just reflect on the show. And in a moment, what I'd like to do as well to structure it a little bit is to just kind of throw out some quotes from the show, uh, from Ted Lasso and some of the other characters, and just have a conversation about it. Yeah. You know, one of the other th- interesting things that you pointed out before, and um, I can't remember where we where we saw this, where it was talking about the um, the amount of literature that you see inside the show, you know, like all the books that you'd they either get quoted or you see them laying on the table or someone's reading one of them. It's kind of fascinating how much it includes, you know, popular literature from like right now. Uh, so well said, Amy. You know, if anyone out there is a bibliophile, if you love books, if you love to read, I mean, from classics to contemporary books, from, you know, deep philosophical texts to very popular, you know, books like Harry Potter. Fiction and nonfiction. Fiction and nonfiction. Whether you actually see the book in the show, which happens quite a bit, or Ted or one of the other characters just references it or makes an allusion to some kind of literary work. That's one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, they definitely beautifully um, reflect on these books, like some of the quotes and the things they say. If you've read the books, you'll you'll get that it's a reference. And if not, then it just is a smooth part of the show. But it's interesting. Absolutely. You know, another thing, too, and I guess I guess this goes back to kind of our therapeutic kind of background, our, our love of psychology. I've actually listened to it was Brene Brown who is actually referenced in the show some of her books and ideas, but she did a podcast with uh, two of the main characters of the show, uh, Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso, and Brendan Hunt, who in the show is uh, the wonderful Coach Beard. Oh, I need to listen to that. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's on her it's on her podcast, and she interviews them, and they talk about how the writers were really thoughtful about some of the psychological ideas that kind of governed their writing and, and, and some of the, the way the story develops. So I think that's really cool. They sure did a good job of carrying it out too. Absolutely. Okay. One more kind of nerdy thing before maybe we get into the quotes. Um, you know, in my own kind of therapy journey, I, I did work at a place called the Jung center in Houston and the director before the one that's here now, his name was James Hollis. Uh, he's a really big figure in the world of like union psychotherapy. His book, The Midlife Passage, is actually shown in the TV show. And uh, I just thought that was awesome and got so giddy and excited when uh, the writers had pointed out something so powerful like that. So, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so... And again, I'll throw out some quotes and some ideas from the show, and we can kind of go wherever, you know, we feel led. So here's here's one of the first things that that we see. I think it's in the first episode of the first season. Um, Rebecca, who's, you know, the I guess you could say the manager of uh, the Richmond team, the soccer team that Ted Lasso has come from the United States to start coaching. Um, in a In an early conversation, she looks at Ted and says, oh, you believe in ghosts, Ted? And Ted responds, I do. But more importantly, I believe they need to believe in themselves. Now, on the one hand, I feel like that sounds corny as hell. It's definitely corny. Which is, I think, a part of Ted Lasso's persona, right? He's silly and corny, yeah. but super sweet. He is very, very sweet. 
it's interesting too. It's kind of cool to see Rebecca as she like goes as the whole show goes on because she seems to grow a lot or at least um, work through some of her own emotional struggles. Ooh, I like that. Okay, from a from a female perspective, what's some of the maybe emotional or character growth that you see from Rebecca? Well, definitely the main. I think the main thread of that is when you watch. Rebecca at the very beginning. I mean, the whole reason she hired Ted Lasso was to try to bring the team down. And it, it's kind of cool to watch um, as their relationship develops. And you can definitely see that by the end, they, they love each other. Absolutely. Would, would you agree with this? And, and I know this is a really important part of our like theoretical foundation in therapy. We're, we're both therapists that utilize relational cultural therapy, which really emphasize the importance of building authentic relationships built on vulnerability with other people. I feel like Rebecca's story, her her arc as a character really is a journey toward figuring out vulnerability. I think the whole show that vulnerability is shown, this is one of the reasons I love the show so much is because it shows how um, how powerful it is to be vulnerable and how other people don't usually take advantage of that, that re- they react with their own vulnerability Absolutely. It builds connection. Yes. You know, and, and, and to think about Rebecca real quick again, you know, in some ways, you know, she gets fucked over by her ex-husband who had been unfaithful to her many times. And, you know, she in the divorce, she gets the soccer team. And you're right. She wanted to just completely destroy the team because it meant so much to her ex-husband, Rupert. And that's why she brings this Ted Lasso guy that knows nothing about, you know, British football. But uh, one of the things that I think the show does so well is, I guess, highlight how she moves from a posture of just like resentment and almost vengeance and pain to one where she opens up to Ted and to all the other characters, still nervous and afraid and 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 wrestling with vulnerability. Excuse me, vulnerability like her relationship with Sam. I was gonna say it. She opens up to love. And I think that's pretty cool because at the very beginning, you can tell that she's just shut down. She's shut down. She has a bunch of character defenses. Uh, she keeps people at a distance. Definitely at arm's length, for sure. Arm's length. She can be very harsh. But yeah, through Ted's influence, through her relationship with Sam and and some of the her beautiful relationship with Keely, I, I think she begins to let some of the defenses down and she experiments with vulnerability. And and I think she begins to discover the benefits of that. Yeah. She definitely comes across as um, like condescending at the beginning. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. She's like this very, you know, well put together, powerful, rich, you know, female figure. And uh, I mean, she maintains a lot of that through the show, obviously, but it's quite powerful how she begins to emotionally connect through vulnerability. Now, okay, so going back to that quote, when he says, yes, I believe in ghosts, but I really think they should believe in themselves. I think about confidence. And, and what I think about is, this is something that I share with my, my teenage guy clients quite a bit is if you look at that word confidence, there's, there's two like root words, you know, from the Latin and if you if you speak Spanish at all, you'll you'll kind of get this too. It's con fide, or with faith, or with trust. And it's not necessarily a trust in a, a God figure or something like that. Although that could be a part of it, I guess. It's really about 
acting with faith or with trust in oneself. And I think that's the heart of confidence, right? right. I mean, whether it's a man or a woman, I, I always tell my teenagers, it's it's the ability to walk into a room and not automatically think you're either worse than everyone, kind of this posture of self-rejection, but it's also not kind of this arrogance or thinking that you're better or somehow superior. It's walking into a room and knowing that you're eye to eye because you're a human. I'm trying to remember who who says that quote. Like who says that? Who's who's talking to Ted Lasso about that at the time? Well, so in the very beginning, it's it's Rebecca, and and I think she's like I forget exactly what Ted says, but it, it has to do with ghosts for some strange reason. And she says, "Oh, you believe in ghosts?" And then Ted, in his way, says, "Yeah, I do, but more importantly, I think they need to believe in themselves." You think he's um, reflecting something back to her? Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that either. I'm I'm just kind of curious. Because it seems like a good way for him to say to her that she needs to have some confidence or believe in the team. Damn, Amy Galpin, that's some that's some deep shit. I like it. Yeah, because in the beginning of the show, she maybe has that kind of guarded arrogance. Maybe think I, we know she thinks she's superior to Ted and the others, but I think that's a compensation for maybe some feelings of inferiority. So maybe Ted was picking up on that energy and, and tells her, hey, maybe you got to have some, some real confidence here. I like it. Okay, next quote. Unless there's something else that you want to say. Nope, I'm good. You got it? Okay. So um, Ted says, says this, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse, isn't it? If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. Now, I think he's talking about the context of sports, but I think this applies to other areas of life. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of, um, you know, like this doesn't, I don't know if it ne- this necessarily relates to what's going on with that, but one of the examples I can think of in therapy is when I used to run a treatment center for adolescents. And when they would graduate, um, it was a treatment center for addiction. So when they would graduate, um, when they would go up to get their diploma for graduating or their certificate, I would have them take off their shoes and put their left shoe on their right foot and their right sh- their right shoe on their left foot and have them walk up to get their certificate. And I would tell them that if it doesn't feel like that, being sober, then they're not doing it right. Mm, I like that. What do, you, what, what do you think you were trying to communicate to them? That if you are, that if it doesn't feel awkward, then you're in your old patterns. Yeah. No, I really like that. And and that that kind of reminds me of just conversations I mean I've had with myself and and maybe even with my clients where there's this desire for things to maybe go back to the way they were or a desire for things just to be easy and I'm not saying I want anyone to be a glutton for punishment or, you know, to have this insane rigor about life, but I think as as Ted points out, if you're not at some level uncomfortable, if there's not growing pains, something's probably not right. Kind of like when you say that the um that um if the cave that you don't want to go into is probably the one that holds the treasure you seek. How do you say that? From Joseph Campbell, one yeah, one of my favorite quotes. We were just talking about it today at breakfast. Um the cave you're most afraid to enter 
contains the treasure that you seek. Yeah, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that if you're in your your normal everyday um, feeling comfortable, then you're probably not pushing beyond your boundaries. You're probably not moving forward. You're just sitting in comfort. Yes, yes. And, and, I, and I think it's a way of also saying even the things you're afraid of, the things that you know you you resist, they likely contain some type of you know metaphorical treasure or gold that you could really benefit from to help you just enlarge and expand as a person. Okay, how about this one? I thought this was really interesting. Ted says, as the man once said, and I'm not sure who he's referring to, the uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. The harder you work, the luckier you get. I think that's an interesting point that he's making there. It's paradoxical. It is. Absolutely. It. I, I can't help but think of, uh, and I'm not sure who first said it. I know it's kind of an ancient quote. Some have said some have said it was the historian Pliny. Some have attributed to the Stoic philosopher Seneca. But it's it's this idea that fortune favors the brave, which well, on some level maybe it says that um, if you're not putting yourself out there, then it's kind of hard for luck to find you. Yes, yes, that. Yeah, and, and I just I just love these paradoxes where, you know, I think there's some people that want to just kind of wait, whether it's wait for God or wait for the universe, just just wait for things to happen. They want to wait for change to happen. I don't think it works that way. I think at some level you gotta put one foot in front of the other. You've got to make some effort. You've got to try. Yeah, I mean luck isn't gonna fall in your lap in your living room. You kinda have to be out doing something for it to come to fruition yeah, for opportunity. Yes. And, and maybe it's one of those things that, that after a, a season or a period of, of effort and work and, and, and pushing yourself, you look back and you realize, damn, there was some luck in there. That there, there was some real fortune that, that, that kind of benefited me. Definitely. Okay. Here's another one. This one's, I think, pretty powerful, and I think it has a lot of application. So so Ted, if I remember correctly, is speaking to Sam, one of our favorite characters. Yeah, we love Sam. Who's the, uh, you know, he's one of the star uh, Nigerian players on the on the Richmond team. And um, he's, he's, in a, he's in a moment of just being stuck in his head about his performance on the field. And uh, Ted looks at him and says, Sam, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? Because it's got a 10-second memory. So be a goldfish. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And they, they reference that back several times. They really do. the show. You know, like when things happen and they don't, it doesn't go the way that they want, Ted's like, be a goldfish. Like, let it go and let's just keep moving forward. Yeah. So, okay, obviously, we're, we're, we're not going to look at our clients and tell them to be goldfish. But if you could sort of put a little bit of a therapeutic spin on that kind of life philosophy, how would you begin to articulate that, Amy? Oh, wow. I'm not even sure. I'd have to think about that. Um, I mean, I think just kind of what I was saying a, a little while ago, that sometimes you just kind of have to put your blinders on and move forward. A leap of faith. Okay. No, I like that. I, I, I think for me, too, it's kind of practicing a, a type of acceptance of, of what is, you yeah. know, 
Um, I mean, you're always saying, and, and I know this can be something that rubs people the wrong way sometimes if they don't understand it, but I know you're always saying it is what it is. Mm-hmm. That it, at some level, there, there are things that happen that, fuck, just happen and we can't really change. So part of life and part of just having some semblance of peace is letting certain things go. Well, and I think the important part of that is it's not, I'm not saying don't look at your shit because you need to do that too. But sometimes it's not the right moment to be going through your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. In the middle of a game where, they're, where they're, their minds have to be right, that's not the time to be thinking through things. It's kind of more of an instinct moment. I think yes. maybe that's what he's saying to them. Okay. Use your instincts and just move forward. Okay, yeah. You know, and, and I think too, just in like treating anxiety, we know that um, we can think about certain things and there's this part of our brain that just imagines that if we think about it more and more and more, it's somehow going to help us come to a solution or solve the problem. But we know neurologically that's not the case. It's just going to create a loop and a cycle and it's going to lead to worst you know, outcomes. Right. And, and so I think to me, be a goldfish is not, hey, don't take this seriously or, or it doesn't matter at all. It's saying put it in perspective and recognize that maybe thinking about it too much actually isn't going to help it. Yeah. I'm kind of hearing just be in the moment, you know, be in the moment, which goes back to mindfulness, I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is super important. Okay. I think you have some really interesting things to say about mindfulness. Can, can you, can you uh, enlighten us? I do talk to my clients a lot about mindfulness, you know, neurologically, it's just important to clear your, your thoughts sometimes. And, um, you know, there's, there's quotes about, you know, like not being in the past because that causes depression or not being in the future because that causes anxiety to just be in the present. Um, and I think sometimes if you can't just be in the present and take things step by step, then you're going to get stuck. Absolutely. So part of, part of what I wanted you to maybe do with mindfulness for just a second is I think some people, and, and I've actually explored this in different episodes of, of the podcast with different guests. Some people think mindfulness and they either think, you know, some kind of very like extreme religious practice, or they think of a monk on a, on a mountaintop. And I don't think that's what we mean by mindful. I mean, it can be those things, but for the, for, for the rest of us, for the rest of the world that are living in the kind of busy, modern 21st century world, what what would you say is a, is a mindfulness practice that almost anybody could engage in? Oh, we can use mindfulness all the time. I'm, you know, sometimes some of the chores that you um, can't stand to do, sometimes like, you know, washing, when you're washing dishes to wash your hands with the warm water, notice the bubbles, you know, doing something like that. I love uh. that. You know, for this is not just for guys, but but I'm thinking stereotypically for guys. I think one of the reasons we love to grill is it can be a type of mindfulness. Absolutely, and all the sensory things that are happening. Absolutely. While you're grilling. I I usually I don't have one right now actually, but I like to keep a water fountain in my office because mm. I like the way it sounds. I like the way it looks, and sometimes. Um, you know, it's hard to make my brain stop. And so if I'm actually looking at something and thinking about something that's not emotional, that's easier than trying to clear all of my thoughts out. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, let me let me throw out this quote. And, and this, I think, will touch on a piece of what we love, I think, about Ted Lasso, which is the, the relational emphasis. 
we, we just talked about this at the very beginning, the importance of vulnerability and love. He says, if you care about someone and you've got just a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. Now, let me set it up this way. I could imagine a skeptic thinking, wow, that's way too fucking simplistic. But I think he's getting at something there. No, I don't that's think really that's- important. It's simplistic at all. Okay. It's, you know, when we talk about relational cultural theory and the energy that it brings when you're in a good relationship, um, I think he's talking about that, about how good it feels when you've got someone on your side. Um, and I know you've got another quote later on that you're going to bring up that has to do with that same thing. Mm. Can you, you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember. It's the one about, um, we'll get back to it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, and, and and I think too, you know, when he says if you've got a little love in your heart, I, I definitely don't think that just means, you know, kind of a temporary feeling, you know, or a sensation. I, I think love for Ted Lasso is is kind of a, a commitment to someone. It's 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 a desire for, for them to be in a good spot and it's unconditional acceptance. It's it's unconditional acceptance. This one's a big one for Ted. It's a big one for you. It's it's something that you always teach me. I, I don't know that I'm great at this. I'm I'm learning. I think it speaks to the importance, especially in a relationship, to what we always call giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think it's super important to give someone the benefit of the doubt. What do you think that means? Giving someone the benefit of the doubt? Does it mean overlooking bad behaviors or, you know, no, absolutely not. I think boundaries are really important. But I think in a marital relationship, you know, when you're a partner with someone that you love, it means understanding that until the person proves you wrong, that their heart was probably in the right place. And it's important to at least investigate what was meant by maybe a certain comment or a certain action that's frustrating to to look at it and um, give the person the benefit of the doubt that maybe they meant well or weren't thinking about something or um, something like that um, before you jump to conclusions. Yeah, and I, I, I hope you agree with this. Ted Lasso embodies that so well. Oh, in the absolutely. Show. Not not that I'm trying to you know treat him like some kind of saint. I mean, clearly he's imperfect, and and that comes out more and more in season two with his struggle with panic attacks and you know, some of the anger that he had toward his father who who died by suicide. And, and maybe we can get into some of that in a moment. But I think Ted embodies this um, perspective of charity toward others. And not, not charity like, like giving them money, but in terms of being understanding and giving them room yeah. to you kind know. of figure themselves out before he rushes to a judgment. Oh, the other thing I love about Ted Lasso is his humility. You know, that he... Um, even though he's the coach and he is a good coach, um, he never seems like he's better than anyone or knows that. better. He he always invites um, people's um, ideas or comments or um, their solutions, creativity. I love that. And again, I, I'm not the biggest sports person, but I, but I know enough to know that at some level, a lot of coaches are kind of arrogant dicks. And they think they are the masters of everything. And and maybe some of them are. Uh, but but Ted clearly comes in with what you said, a posture of humility. And yes, he has some expertise around building a culture and a team. 
But but he also, in a lot of ways, doesn't know much about soccer. And so, yeah, his humility shines. And to me, it's one of the most powerful qualities of his character. Yeah, and I, I think it um, keeps the team together because there's a lot of people who, um, or in, and his coaching staff, there's a lot of them that um, he allows them to have input. And so they, I think they buy in. They feel like they're part of the team. They feel like they get to coach too. And they're part of the reason that they might be winning, um, which makes them take more responsibility when they're losing and, um, you know, keeps them connected to the team yeah absolutely that really is one of my favorite things in the show is if you if you watch the first episode and and you look at the state of the team you know they're 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 in shambles i mean both performance wise but but more importantly they're they're so toxic in terms of how they're relating to each other and then you look at the the last episode of of season two and it's this beautiful like brotherhood. It's a community. There's there's love and acceptance and humility and vulnerability that that permeates the entire club. It's 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 fucking beautiful. Yeah, it is very cool. So w- one last thing about that quote that we just talked about, where he says, uh, "If you care about someone and you get a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together." I really do think think the key to that quote is the last line nothing you can't get through together and maybe that speaks to our relational cultural emphasis that solving psychological issues isn't something we do on our own by ourselves just sitting by ourselves we 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 work on psychological struggles in the context of healthy, vulnerable, you know, mutually connected relationships. Yeah. Well, and I think that pulls into, so the quote I was alluding to earlier was the one about um, that there's that there's something worse than being depressed. You want to okay. share that one? You know what? And it's the one right below the one I just read. So I, absolutely, it's, it's a good one. So Ted says after, I think this is near the end of season one, they've just lost, you know, the, the game that they needed to, to either tie or win to not get relegated to the lower level to the championship league. So though so in season 2 they're in the championship league, they're no longer in the premier league which is a huge deal. And so they're sitting there wanting to feel bad about themselves and he says, "I promise you there's nothing worse out there than being sad." Or I promise you there is something worse out there than being sad and that's being alone and being sad. Ain't no one in this room alone. It's very, very powerful. Very cool. Very powerful. So what what about that quote speaks to you, Amy? Well, I think he's encouraging the team to stick together. That, you know, going home and being sad about what happened isn't going to help. That they have to work together and um, rely on each other. That it's it's on everybody, not on one person, what happened and how things didn't come together. Absolutely. I think about too, you know, as as you were just saying that, as I'm remembering the scene in the show, I, th- I think it's one of those he- those deep human truths that that can seem cliche, but but I think is not is quite powerful. That no matter what any human goes through, if they're able to go through that thing with another person, or maybe a family or a community that loves and supports them, then it's bearable. Absolutely. 
It's yeah. it, it, right. It's, it's it's not that it still doesn't hurt and that it doesn't create tremendous grief or or suffering, but because we're these social creatures that thrive in the context of loving relationships, if we can cultivate that, if we can exist in that, that's what helps us get through. Yeah. So so I know this is your podcast, but if I'm going to hijack it for a minute, how Please do, you, do how do you think that that quote ties in with what we learn later that. Ted's dad committed suicide when he was like, what, 13? Yeah, he was, I think, I think he was 16. 16. But it it just, I imagine that at that moment, and actually he, I think he talks about it later when he's in therapy, that he felt incredibly alone. Like he was the one who kind of took over and took care of everybody. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, no, that's, thank you for asking that question. I think it's a powerful one. Um, Yeah. One of the things that you discover about Ted even in season one, is that he is not a quitter. In fact, if I can make another connection to his kind of failing marriage, you know, he he's basically in tears uh, speaking to his his now, I guess, if you look at season two, his, his ex-wife, but his current wife, they're, they're separated, about to get divorced. He's like, I, I, I don't want to sign the papers because I'm not a quitter. And, and she even says, look, Ted, it's not you quitting, it's you letting go. Yeah. It's you letting me go, which I thought was quite powerful. But um, I guess to go back to your original question, I, I think Ted sees his father, you know, committing suicide as as quitting on life, quitting on his his mom, quitting on him. And so to me, it, it makes his quote when he speaks to the team's to, to, to his teammates that much more powerful because he's not just talking out of his ass. He's talking about it from his direct experience. He knows what it's like to be alone. Right. He, he knows the pain of, you know, the person that's supposed to be there for you the most literally quitting on you. And so it's actually quite powerful to me that that doesn't just completely devastate him. It actually leads him to want to be stronger and to want to promote that kind of philosophy that no matter what you're going through, if you can go through it with a group, with another loved one, it's it's possible to endure. Yeah. You know, like, and I know this isn't um, from this show, but to me, it almost connects him to one of your other favorite people, Mr. Rogers. Oh, my gosh. Because he says, look for the helpers, like when there's tragedy. And it seems like Ted kind of does that. He's like, look for everybody else. You're not in this alone. I love it. And isn't that also going back to kind of the humility as well? I, I, and I guess what I mean by that is I, I find the most humble people are the ones that recognize their own limits, recognize their their need for others. Absolutely. That, that they can see that other people have strengths. They don't. I think this is a, a mark of a really good leader is – one who doesn't think they're the shit or have it all figured out, but know their own weaknesses and look to the group for support, right? In the areas where they're weak. Absolutely. Great shout out to Mr. Rogers. <laughs> uh, one day we'll have to do an episode on Mr. Rogers. I'm I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So th- this isn't necessarily a quote, from Ted Lasso, but it's something that he actually brings up and alludes to several times. Um, maybe most infa- infamously, 
um, before that weird episode, um, Mr. Beard or Coach Beard after hours, where you know Coach Beard has his kind of existential crisis. Which, what a strange episode! That's a strange. You know, it, I, I didn't like it very much the first time around because it didn't have enough Ted Lasso, who I have a bit of a man crush on. You know, uh, but the second time around watching it, you know, we've watched I guess the series twice now together. I, I really did like that episode. I, th- I think it was an interesting kind of look at some of his inner struggles and how he kind of overcomes those. But right before that episode, the the very last episode before it, you know, you could tell Ted's worried about Coach Beard's kind of <laughs> existential state. And as he goes off into the city, he looks at Coach Beard and he says, bird by bird. Oh, that's a that's a that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. So I, I wanted to just maybe set it up to kind of tell the audience if, if they're not aware kind of where that comes from. And then maybe you can give us your thoughts if that works for you, Amy. Yeah, I can. So, I mean, I, I like that quote because to me, what I hear when he says bird by bird, he's saying break it down into pieces that are small enough for you to handle. Like, what's the next step? And I do that with my clients all the time when something seems too big. Sometimes you got to break it down and take it step by step. And before you know it, you get through it. Where if you try to, you know, do the whole thing at once, you know, another quote that I know of that kind of illustrates that is um, if you've ever heard anybody ask how to eat an elephant, you know, bite by bite. I love it. No, that's that's amazing. Yeah. And this is maybe a little bit of a um of a kind of a shameless plug for therapy but you know if there's anybody out there i'm i'm thinking of you know men who might be listening who are really stuck in some some deep depression i i can say for from my years of 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 treating you know that in in the male population there is a huge temptation to want to figure out a, a magic formula or, or a, a silver bullet that's going to get them out of that, whether that's medication or some kind of special treatment. And, and there are things like medication that obviously can help with depression. I'm, I'm 100% for that. But I also think it is a step-by-step process out of a cycle. Yeah, I mean, you know that the other you got to pe- take it bird by bird. Yeah, absolutely. The other the other piece of that is like you know, like it's it's like a DBT kind of thing where you know some people are in their emotional brain or other people are in their logic brain. That um, you're feeling super emotional. Taking things step by step sometimes kind of pulls you into your logic mode instead of being stuck by anxiety or depression. You're moving forward. I love it. I love it. So for bird those by bird, bird by bird, <laughs> I need to get that like. Put, you know, geez, that could right be right like, next to your belief sign. Yes, or that could be a tattoo <laughs> when, when we finally get our tattoos. Yeah, who knows? Real quick, a, a little bit of our nerd statement, but but that that concept, bird by bird, I don't think it's ever explicitly referenced in the show, but it goes back to a book written by. Now I'm forgetting her name. Anne Lamott. Okay, so it's a book written by Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird, where. That phrase comes from her brother's experience when he was 10 years old, where he had to write this paper uh, for one of his classes on birds. And he had, pro- he had procrastinated for like three months. <laughs> he comes down to the line and he's like freaking out, panic attack level. And his dad basically sits down with him and says, look, we've got to take it bird by bird. Very don't, cool. Don't, don't freak out. We're going to like sit down together and look at 
each bird at a time. We're not going to do it all at once. We're going to take it slow. And so that, that to me is a pretty powerful story. Super powerful. Yeah. Another thing before we jump to the next Ted Lasso quote, I'm thinking of uh, the founder of Stoicism, which you know is one of my favorite philosophies, Zeno of Sidium. He's, he, he has a quote where he says, well-being, or we could say now happiness, and I have this quote on my wall in my office, yeah, I've seen it. is attained by little and little steps, and nevertheless, it is no little thing. It's very true. Very true. I love it. Okay. Another thing about Ted Lasso. So here's another quote. For me, success is not about the wins and the losses. It's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. What do you think? Wow. I, you know, it speaks to, to me. It speaks to who Ted Lasso is. He wants, um, he wants that team to be a cohesive team and he wants them to all feel good about successes and losses and to grow. Um, he's not just pounding on them for losing or for making a wrong decision. Um, he's trying to get them to look at the big picture and be good people, be good people. And, and, and that's the thing about Ted Lasso that I think is so attractive. He's not moralistic or, you know, better than thou in any way, but he's just a really good man. And that's like super compelling. Absolutely. You know, like I, the cool thing about having watched this, like both seasons twice is like the first time I saw this show, I think I saw Ted Lasso is um, almost kind of silly or like maybe someone who Comical. would get walked on and like just kind of goofy. Right. And then when you watch it the second time or when I watched it the second time, I really felt like I could see that he's not he's not necessarily that way at all. He's um, he is confident and he can do what he needs to do. It's just that he um, I don't know. He just tries to be easygoing and kind to people. Oh, gosh. He is so kind. And wow, is that a trait that I think is missing in our world today? Absolutely. We could definitely all use more kindness. Did you hear that, everybody? We could all <laughs> use some more kindness. Especially you teenagers out there. I was going to say, think if there's any teenagers listening to this. <laughs> I'm not sure, but be kind, please. <laughs> no, I, I, I think one of the things about Ted Lasso that I really enjoy is, yes, it's it's silly and it's super funny. And, and clearly he's having a, a good time and, and he makes all kinds of like funny references to things. But they really do explore some deep, significant shit. You know, I mean... I, I wasn't intending on bringing this up, but I think it's something that's quite powerful about the show. I think it actually connects to some really good psychological research around this concept too. In fact, I believe they talked about this on the Brene Brown episode. They explore something like forgiveness. Absolutely. You know, it, they, they don't just promote, because you, you could imagine Ted Lasso's this, you know, bubbly, you know, overly optimistic person that's going to get walked all over. You know, he's just going to let things slide. And that's not the case, you know. He he gets wronged. He wrongs others. And the show does a really good job of showing how difficult that is. But then the importance of the person naming the wrong that they've done and then being told they need to do better. Making amends. Making amends. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing to me that a, a sort of popular mainstream show could explore some of those realities uh, so beautifully. Yeah, with such power. Okay, at one point, uh, Ted Lasso is having a conversation with Jamie Tart, who 
how would you describe Jamie Tart? Jamie Tart, Tart do, 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 <laughs> Jamie Tart, do, 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 do. yeah, I know it's great. Um, you know, Jamie Tart is one of those guys that I struggled to like for sure. Definitely through the first time I saw the show, um, I fucking hated him at first. Yeah, um, and I think that's one of the, the like. But I, said I love earlier, him now. One of the coolest things about this show is that I think most of the characters there's only there's only a few I can think of that that you don't end up having some, you know, both feelings for like, you can see their history and their trauma and their struggles, but um, absolutely, you know, you end up loving them and hating them at the same time, some more than others. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So, so Jamie Tart, if you, if you hope, well, again, hopefully you've watched the show. It's egotistical. He's egotistical, maybe a little bit of a narcissist. Uh, I mean, he is, he's phenomenally gifted at soccer. He's, he's, Clearly the the best player on the team by far. And, you know, he, he, throughout the seasons, he's he's with Richmond. He leaves to play for Manchester. And then he kind of has a bit of an existential crisis and then goes on a reality TV show and then fucks around and gets kicked out of that. And basically, Ted Lasso takes him back, which, again, is a, is a beautiful kind of thing, even though the team doesn't want him to be back because he really screwed everybody over and and he really kind of bullies he bull he's a bully he he's was a bully. bully he was a bully for sure uh n- not a good person but I-, I think by the end he he's on a beautiful journey of transformation i'm not sure he's fully there yet but if nothing else in his game and in, in his soccer game i think that um, Ted Lasso teaches him to be a part of the team yes. and to see his teammates as teammates as opposed to um, focusing on himself as the the winner, the champion. Yes. In fact, I didn't write this one down, but if 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 my memory serves me right, there's a point where Ted looks at Jamie and says, "Look, you are one in a million. You're that fucking good. But you got to remember, you're also one in eleven. In this team, you're one in eleven. Right. And." Again, I, I I thought it was brilliant that Ted Lasso could hold both of those intention. Mm-hmm. He he wanted to acknowledge Jamie's incredible talent. You are special. Like I I want you to see me acknowledging that. That's that's important. I'm validating you. But he's not a team of one. But you're not a team of one. So oh, it's so good. Okay, so in this scene, he's speaking with Jamie and. Um, Jamie, you know, says to to Ted Lasso, Coach, I am me. Why would I want to be anything else? And Ted Lasso looks at him and says, I'm not sure you realize how psychologically healthy that actually is. What do you think about that idea of not wanting to be anything other than who you are? Why, why, why does Ted pick up on that and tell him that that's actually quite psychologically healthy? Because I think that Ted obviously picks up on the fact that Jamie Tart struggles. I mean, he really struggles when you when you get to meet his dad. Oh, oh gosh! There's one person you can hate more, you can love to hate more than Jamie Tart. Yes, yes, and man, that that is another thread that I want to kind of follow for a moment is the the father wounds, the 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 daddy issues, if I can put it that way, that that runs through the show in most of the characters. Right, Ted Lasso, his father dies by suicide when he's 16. That really has an impact on him. You know, especially in the second season, where he starts to wrestle with the panic attacks. You've got Nate, who I know you feel very strongly about. I want to get to him in a moment. His father's 
just a dick and, and, and can't emotionally connect with him or give him any kind of appropriate validation. There's Jamie Tart's father, who is just a monster and really acts like a child. And, you know, clearly Jamie struggles with that relationship. Is there anyone else who has a father wound? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, Ted Lasso and his, it's different, but he definitely has his father wounds that way. Rebecca? Yeah. You know, her, her father ends up passing away. That, that's actually one of the... Um, well, and her ex-husband who, you know, I think on some level, she almost looked at him or allowed him to be a father figure sort of in her life. Yeah, yeah. He kind of told her, she even says in one of the episodes that he told her what to eat, what to wear, and that she mm. did it. I missed that. Wow. So, yeah, for, for anyone who's, who's, you know, who's watched the show, who's interested in like psychology kind of stuff, I, I think that's one of the most powerful things about the show is how they get into the impact that these fathers have had on their sons and daughters. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, you work with um, teenage boys a lot. I do. I mean, is this like a thing that you see? I, I know I have. Um, you know, in, in our teenage athletes, like their relationships with their dads. And I don't know, you know, when you like, sometimes when I watch TV, you like hear about like a parent who's like overzealous and goes after a, a an umpire or something like that in a little league game. It's kind of crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. No, to, to not sound cliche, I would say 100% of the male clients I work with have some type of father struggle. Yeah, including cool. myself. And, and here's the thing: I think I think people are probably aware of the stereotypical ones, where there's, you know, sadly a, uh, a, a an absent father, and that create that creates all kinds of issues. But here's one that I see a lot too, and, and this is not one that the fathers are intending to create. But if if there's a father out there who's actually done quite well for himself, and he's been successful, let's say, in a at a financial level in terms of career. I've got a lot of guys that I work with who tremendously struggle with comparing themselves to their father, whether that's fully conscious or not. It comes up in their dreams and just the ways they behave. And so at some level, I I think this is a part of the the male journey into adulthood and, and psychological wholeness is wrestling with things like father wounds, whether they're from fathers who weren't there or who were abusive or who were just terrible people or those that were really good fathers but created a whole nother issue. Yeah. Well, some of the athletes that are better than average um, or just really good at it, sometimes you see parents, you know, with the best intentions, really pushing their child to really focus on that one thing and to be the best. But, you know, we all need life balance. Absolutely. You know, Carl Jung once said, the greatest burden of the child is the unlived life of the parent. And I think we both probably, again, stereotypically see that, you know, in the city we work at, which emphasizes sports so much. We, we, we see fathers, even mothers sometimes, who are, are living out their sort of untapped potential or unfulfilled dreams through their kids and it can be something difficult to navigate, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, this next quote has to be one of my favorites. I, I think it'll be one of yours, too. All right, bring it on. So just, you know, to, to be clear, it actually originates from the great American transcendentalist poet Walt Whitman. But, you know, for the sake of this podcast, it's a Ted Lasso quote. Be curious, 
not judgmental. Ah, uh, that's one of my favorites. Do you remember where it comes from? It's, um, it's one of the best scenes, I think, in the show. I can't remember. You're okay, have to. so Ted Lasso is, I think, meeting Rupert, uh, Rebecca's ex-husband, for the first time. And he's basically revealed that he, through his new wife, who's also called Rebecca, he's bought a couple shares or whatever of the team. So he's going to be, you know, in the in the box watching the the team play right next to Rebecca, and he because he wants to fuck with her, uh, he, he wants to continue my... to mess with her. And uh, basically, Ted's like, "Look, I'll go ahead and because they're at a bar, I'll go ahead and play you this game of darts. It's my favorite episode, I think. And if if I win." then you can't come to any of the games. But if you win, uh, honestly, I forgot what, what the stakes are at that level. If, if you win, maybe we change the name of something. I, I can't remember this exactly is, what happens, but, but go ahead. It's definitely a turning point in his relationship with Rebecca. Oh, absolutely. Because he stands up for her. Yeah. And, uh, and Rupert is arrogant as usual. He's a narcissist. And he's like, fuck, yeah, like I'll beat you in darts any day. Because he is. He's a great dart player. And then he comes to realize that Ted is the fucking shit at darts and is able to just completely destroy him. And he ends up telling him, look, um, I grew up with people doubting me and always judging my abilities when they would have been so much well served if they would have been curious because they would have found out that I actually have these amazing talents. And so he says, look, you've got to be curious, not judgmental. So what does that mean to you? I think it's pretty cool. It reminds people to, um, you know, to try to ask questions instead of like developing your your own, sticking to your own um, initial thoughts about somebody. Because oftentimes we could be wrong, you know, don't yeah. judge a book by its covers. Like another way of saying that, like, mm. you know, but you know, I honestly, I love to, I live my life through that kind of perspective i I was raised to like people anybody who's different for any reason whether it's like a disability or a cultural difference or you know whatever it is my you know my parents said you know to ask questions to learn about the person as opposed to being afraid of it yeah no and 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 you know amy i i mean this as a tremendous compliment to you i, I can only imagine that it's part of what makes you a phenomenal therapist I think in some ways this is your life philosophy. Oh, absolutely. And and it's not I love ju- people. I love I love when someone's different than me. Yeah. And 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 you really do embody it so well. Um I don't think it's just an abstract concept for you. I I I see it, you know, on a daily basis this this curiosity and non-judgmental spirit. And people are fascinating. Right. And you know, it's interesting because I can definitely be a judgmental son of a bitch. And, you know, we've talked about how to, how at a neurological level, you know, at some level we can't help, but, you know. It's how our brain organizes just itself. judge things and put things into categories, but we have to work against that. Um, at the same time, I, I, I'm very curious. I always have been. So I'm always in tension around those two things. But if, if I could somehow just be the person that I really want to be, it's going to be a man who's curious to the core and and not judgmental. Yeah. I think when you judge a situation, you put a label on it and then it's really hard to learn from it because you feel like you know everything already. Absolutely. And I think maybe this goes back to your comment about Ted Lasso exhibiting that humility, mm-hmm. right? I, I think 
I think a humble person is definitely a curious person and not a judgmental one. Absolutely. You know, but it, I, I think, um, the other way that I see, um, Ted Lasso bring this, um, to fruition and you're, you're going to be frustrated with me because you probably want to bring it up is their group, the diamond dogs. Oh no, the diamond dogs. Okay. I forgot about those. Yes. Yeah, so, so can you, can you tell the listeners, I mean, just what the diamond dogs Ah, as, are what they do as a relationship therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. It's it's the group of um coaches and you know, Ted makes it pretty clear that it's like an open but closed group. It's like a it's their safe space where the coaches come into his office and they talk about their personal things. They talk about what's going on in their lives and their struggles without judgment. Um, and as you know, one of the most awesome episodes too, is when, um, Roy Kent comes in and you know how he is. He, I've, I've got to try to do my, uh, Roy Kent impersonation. I don't have oh, it you're completely pretty good down, at it. but fuck no. <laughs> He's great. But he even comes in and he talks to them, you know, it's like a group of talking about the problem, but without judgment. And, and and let me just state the obvious. And I know this is kind of again like a shameful plug for this podcast and and and, and even the the new center that, that that we both work at, you know, Katie Counseling for Men. It's really fucking rare for men to have a space where they're talking openly and vulnerably and in a way that's very encouraging together. Yeah. I, I think that's a rare thing in our society. And so it's really powerful to see it on the screen. Yeah, I th- we, we we need more of that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I definitely envision therapy as a safe space. Yes, you know? yes. I know it's 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 almost like the Diamond Dogs is a an informal kind of group therapy of sorts. Absolutely, and even even Roy Kemp after he spills his guts and talks about how he's feeling, and they all go, "Okay, well then, let's get back to playing." And they're like, all about to leave. He's like, "Wait, <laughs> yes, you did it much better than me." Like, yeah. <laughs> He, yeah, he basically says, wait, uh, you're telling me sometimes this group just gets together and lets a person vent about their feelings and then no one really gives advice and that's that's pretty much it. And they're like, yeah. And, and, and he's like, cool. He's like, awesome. Now, I always say, okay, therapy is, is a lot more than just a safe place to vent. But by God, at some level, that is a foundational aspect of good therapy is giving another human being a really safe space to talk openly about what they're actually feeling and struggling with in their life with no judgment. Oh, absolutely. You know what? I, you know, and I've heard other therapists say this too, that, um, you know, our clients are the experts in their lives. Yes. God, I I was hoping we would get into that. I, I know that's a very kind of relational cultural therapy kind of lens on how the therapist should see themselves. But but I think this connects to Ted Lasso and, and what you were saying about his humility and his understanding, especially in this new world of, of, of football, right? That, that he knows nothing about. That yes, he comes in with an ability to create a culture and, and do relationships really well and bring people in, but he doesn't know you know, the game very well, doesn't know these people. And so it comes across as someone who's letting them be the experts of their own lives. But it works for him. But it works for him. And and I think that's, sorry, therapists out there who don't embrace this philosophy. We're not the experts of our clients' lives. 
No, and sometimes you just need to come in and like spill your guts. And in your own brain, you're able to kind of reorganize and go, okay, now that I've vented about it, I know what I need to do. Absolutely. Okay, I've got a couple other quotes, and and then I want to talk about Ted's experience with therapy. Sounds good. Okay, I think we're good on time. All right. So the penultimate quote, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I want you to know I value each of your opinions even when you're wrong. I love that. Why do you love that? For so many reasons. Because sometimes we, I tell my clients we learn more when we screw up than when we know what we're doing. Yeah, that's good. You know, you don't learn anything by being right. You learn a lot by being wrong. You certainly learn what not to do or how you want to move forward with things. Absolutely. I, you know, when when, when I hear that quote and I think about Ted Lasso and, and this, you know, beautiful connected team that he's created, I, I like that he's emphasizing that that he is still going to be in relationship and connection to them even when they disagree. Absolutely. They get to make mistakes and it's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. And 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 Ted actually does a really good job sometimes of of listening to their perspective and letting them even try like a different type of move or a different setup and it doesn't go very well and he doesn't beat them up about it. He's like, "Okay, we've learned. Let's try something else." You know what's cool about that? Like when I watch it and I think about the culture of men, is he's taking away the shame, mm. which is such a theme. Please say more about that. Well, I don't know. What, I know you could talk more to that than even me because you see a lot more men. But, you know, we know that one of the um, common threads in therapy for men when they come in to talk, a lot of it's about shame, making mistakes and not being able to say I made a mistake because that would devalue them somehow. Absolutely. That's probably the dominant struggle for most men eventually at some point in their therapeutic journey. Well, and if you think about, I don't know, I mean, my kid has played some sports. Your kids definitely play sports. Like sometimes you can see that that theme in like um, our kids when they make mistakes, they don't want their coach to see the mistake they made. They don't want to get yelled at or right. redirected. They have their head down. They, they, they want to hide. There's shame. But the reality is no one plays a perfect game ever. Right, right. Like, well, and, and God, this is so good. This is where Ted's overall philosophy of not obsessing about the, the numbers and the wins and the losses. I mean, that can be important for him, but but it's the overall, I, I'm, I'm wanting to build character and, and help these men become like good people in the world, that that comes in because even when there's a loss, right, on the scoreboard, that doesn't mean there's a loss in terms of how they helped each other right that their their effort their overall experience who who they're gonna be when the lights go out and they get in their cars and they drive home right that that their then this is this this gets to shame as you were talking about it their identity i think ted instills the philosophy that their identity is not completely tethered to how they perform on the field it's ultimately connected in their worth as human beings yeah. in, in the way they love each other and support each other. I, I think that touches on a lot of their father trauma. How so? Just teaching the, the players that um, 
that they can make mistakes or that that they're they're just a one piece of a whole team. Yes. They don't have to be perfect. Yes. Beautifully said, Amy. Okay, so the last quote that I had in my notes uh before maybe we get into you know how how therapy is portrayed in the show is I believe in hope. I believe and believe. And and if you don't remember that that quote comes in the context of kind of a saying, I think, in the, the broader community that they live in, which is, you know, basically hope kills. So, you know, don't don't be hopeful because that's something that actually kills. Right. That's a negative. But uh, Ted's like, fuck that. I believe in hope. I believe and believe. Absolutely. And and maybe before you give me your thoughts, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I, I and I have a belief sign for for those that don't know in my therapeutic office. I, I've just ordered a, another belief sign to put in my home podcast studio. I love that concept, but but I think it's a concept that gets misunderstood, maybe even misapplied sometimes. Um, there can even be a part of me that's doubtful and that's skeptical. That's like, believe, hope. That sounds like wishful thinking. You know, the the, the world is really tough. I, you know, I, I just interviewed um, a, a professor whose son died by suicide. God, at some level, I can't even imagine going through something like that. There's some horrible shit that happens on this planet. How can we still have hope? why should we still believe? You know, there's a lot of research that says that the difference between people who make it through tragedy successfully, um, a lot of times is whether or not they have hope. Mm. You know, once the hope isn't there, there's even, and it's a strategy I use in therapy or a, I don't know that I want to call it a strategy, but um, a technique um, called borrowed hope, where sometimes I tell clients like who have who express that they have zero hope in a situation, I tell them, well, I have hope for it. So what I want you to do is whenever you feel like there's no hope, I want you to think, well, Amy says there's hope. You know, yeah. borrow my hope for a while until you get your own. I think man, that's, I love that, Amy, that the concept of borrowed hope. And, and I think that actually gets portrayed quite powerfully in the show when it comes to the the team dynamics, when when whether it's Sam or Jamie or or, or Roy, when they have a, a difficult game, the way the other team comes in and supports them and and kind of encourages them that you know we we, we have the next half to focus on or, or let's let's keep moving forward. I, I I think that displays that borrowed hope that you're talking about. Absolutely. I think too. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of there's this uh, philosopher that I really like, John Caputo, and. You know, the way he ends up talking about belief or faith or or hope is finding a way to anticipate that there will be a tomorrow. Absolutely. You know, in the worst of conditions, in the darkest of times, it's finding a way to believe. And, and I don't know any other word than that, believe, that this is not the end. That, that there is some type of reality that's coming that could be different. Yeah. It's 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 an expectation and a and a belief that things could be different. And I and I don't mean that they're all gonna be great and hunky dory and a, a Pollyanna kind of kind of universe, but for God's sake, there there has to be some kind of expectation of of things being different. Right. 
And in that sense, Amy Galpin, I believe and believe. No, and I, I think it's cool. I love his believe sign because I think it is something that um, he uses in a lot of contexts. I mean, it's believe in yourself, believe in the process, believe in the game, uh, believe in your teammates. Um, I don't know. Can you think of other things that maybe he's... No, because I think you've highlighted them all, and I think that's I think that's powerful. I, I don't think that I thought about it at that level, but he does emphasize this concept of belief at so many levels. And God, it was so painful to see Nate tear it up say, at the end. Man, you know, you already know that Nate is one of my least favorite yeah. characters. I, I think you even told me, and maybe you'll uh. want to qualify it, that, that you hate him. Uh. <laughs> why? 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 And again, uh. I, and I'm not saying at, you know, at season two that I liked him. But but I'm not sure I, I hated him. Why why, why no, do you think you had that emotion toward I, him? I feel like he's spiteful. I feel like he of of all the the cast members, the the people on the team, or just involved in the show, um, even Keely, like they all kind of they all kind of learn how to work together and be relational and trust in one another. And I just see him as someone who stays to himself who stays angry, he's spiteful, he tears up the belief sign. And he yeah. knows that's one of um, Ted Lasso's favorite possessions probably is this sign. Yeah, that that's a that's a powerful scene in the last game when, you know, Isaac, who, who's the new team captain after, you know, Roy uh, Kent, you know, retires, uh, Isaac's sort of in charge. And, and when they're going to do the whole like huddle and put their hands together and, and say the Richmond name, he he walks over to the belief sign and all the players, you know, put their hands up to the belief sign. I just thought that was a powerful moment. Oh, it's very cool. And for, for Nate to tear that up is, is fucked up. It's just so powerful. It just sends this message. It's like, it's like tearing up the whole team. It's, yeah. you know, saying he doesn't care. Yeah. And again, not to excuse his behavior, but, but I do think his posture, his behavior stems from his deeply conflicted relationship with his father. I think that's entirely possible, but I still hate it. He's such a traitor. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Okay. I'm just not on not on team Nate. No, we're we're hey, we're we're we're, we're team Ted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm actually I'm on on the team of like a lot of like everyone. It's so cool to see the interactions. Sure. I, I guess I, I guess the, the the two dickheads that you end up hating at some level is Nate and Rupert. At the yeah, end. well, Rupert, we don't get any back history for him. He's one of the he's one of the um, characters that's portrayed in a negative light. Throughout very negative the whole light, right? There, uh, there, there's very there's really nothing redeeming about him. <laughs> maybe you can in a Roy Kent in your best Roy Kent voice. Maybe you can say "fuck you, Nate." Fuck you, Nate. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel better. Okay, good. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, which I, I really struggled with the first time around, because I think I had my own sort of projections around the show kind of maybe threatening my own sort of understanding of therapy. Um, I, I wanted to see if you could talk about, you know, Ted Lasso's journey with therapy with uh, Dr. Sharon. Oh, that's a, it's a beautiful story. Like when you, when you watch like the whole thing, like the whole, um, their whole relation, the relationship as a whole. Cause at first I have to say, I didn't love that therapist. Why? Because she came in and she seemed a little, um, arrogant, arrogant, you know? And, and I also, you know, I just, as a therapist don't posture myself that way. So, 
Um, it I, was yes. So so she. I think she came across arrogant. She also came across. And and I don't want to pick on because you know I, I really enjoy uh, Sigmund Freud and some of the early kind of psychoanalytic thinkers. She came across in a way that I think psychotherapists used to behave, which is kind of aloof or or objective or neutral, kind or of distant, very professional. I have to argue though, like okay. I, I've, as I'm thinking about it, that maybe she needed to come in strong. I mean, if you're going to work with a bunch of um, professional athletes, they probably need to think that with, you know what you're doing. With big egos, yeah. yeah. That's a good point, Amy. I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think that's a good angle on it. So, okay, I think we agree. We, we, we don't really like the character at first. And uh, and she, in some ways, she really ends up fucking with Ted, right? He feels mm-hmm. very insecure about it because at, at first she won't let him call her doc, which he wants to do, right, in his kind of jovial manner. She asked him to call her doctor, which is understandable, but, you know, kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, too, in her professionalism. Yeah, but you know what? In the end, I love that they both, um, they developed this um, beautiful relationship. Beautiful relationship that's so genuine and authentic. She actually learns about being, um, I don't know, like... um, What's the word vulnerable? for it? She learns about being vulnerable herself and how that is a powerful tool as a therapist to yes. like let someone know that you're not perfect either. Absolutely. I, I remember after, I forget which episodes, definitely in season two, where she she ends up, I guess it's, it's either she's getting her own supervision. I think technically she's probably consulting with, you know, a senior therapist and the therapist is like, look, you will benefit from showing your own vulnerability like from 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 expressing vulnerability with with Ted with your client you will actually develop as a therapist and it will warm his heart and get him to open up and it absolutely does and it absolutely does and for anyone who's listening who's interested in therapy who's who's maybe thinking about either becoming a therapist or wants to think about you know starting the process of therapy you and I are both relational cultural therapists which means at one level we are not going to be detached, purely objective, neutral witnesses. We, we are ethically bound not to put our emotional shit on you as, as clients. We'll, we'll never do that. But we are going to be vulnerable. Yeah, you'll, think- you'll, you'll learn about us. You'll, you'll actually relate to us as people. And I think that's what ultimately happens between Dr. Sharon and, and Ted, and, and that was just so powerful. Well, I think where the power and vulnerability is sometimes is kind of like, oh, I hate looking at it this way, but it's transactional. It's kind of like, if you know something about me, then maybe I can know something about you or, mm. you know, like vice versa. Like um, you've shared something with me, which means that you're probably safe for me to share something with you. Sure, sure. Wow. Okay, I've so enjoyed... This conversation, I know I've been pestering you to sit down with me for a while now and talk about this show, which is one of my favorites. Uh, I think there's so much more that we could have explored, but I, I feel really good about what we talked about. I guess before we sign off, is is there anything else about Ted Lasso or, or anything else that's on your mind that you'd want to share? Oh, okay. So one of the other things is one of my, um, like the first time I watched this show, I really had no attachment to... to um, Roy Kent. Yeah. Maybe you even, I think you shared, you maybe didn't even really like him that much. You you sort of saw him as like a stereotypical, almost toxic male. We were looking at t-shirts and they had t-shirts that were for Ted Lasso and then they had Roy Kent. And I was like, why? 
Why would why would there be Roy? Fuck that. <laughs> um, but I loved watching his relationship with his niece and watching his relationship develop with Keely. And I have to say, the very last episode, it like crushed me when he mm. put himself out there and he you got and that I vacation are struggling together. With that. We are struggling with that six week quasi separation. This is yes, not cool. What is that? I don't know. I I think there's something deeper. I. I don't think Keely is communicating, hey, this is going to be something great for us. You, you need some time. I want to bless you with that experience. I, I think she's wrestling maybe with some doubt about the relationship. And that makes me sad. I know. We're going to have to see. But that's the part that's got me hanging. I can't wait for season three. <clears throat> me neither. I'm super excited. I have no clue when it's come, when it's going to come out. I've heard from different sources that it may be the last but uh, I, th- I think it's going to be good. Um, I'm holding on, waiting for it. Yeah. All right. So will you sign off by maybe stating the line of the podcast, which is just continue the conversation. Continue the conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. I'd love to connect with you. Whether that means you sign up for therapy or you send me an email asking a question or maybe even explore what it would look like to get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is to find me on my website at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. Or you can just Google me. And there you'll find my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. You can also go to the website of the practice I work at, where I'm the Leeds Men's Counselor. That's katiecounselingformen.com. I hope that you guys are inspired by what we explore today. And as always, continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.